If you'll indulge a little more scripture, that's kind of a funny thing to say at church. But um, Psalm 89, uh, rendered by Nan Merrill in her book, Psalms for Praying, captures um, some of the themes of, uh, of Colombia and of our relationship with Colombia. But it begins with praise. We'll start in the second stanza. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O loving creator, your faithfulness in the congregation of the holy ones. For who in the universe is comparable to you? Who among the heavenly beings is like you? You who are reverenced in the council of the holy ones, great in wisdom, gentle of heart, and one with all around you. O Most High, mighty are you, whose grace is poured forth throughout all ages. You have blessed us with oceans, rivers, and lakes to sustain our life on earth. Yes, you entrusted the waters into our keeping, And in our stewardship we failed. Forgive us, O merciful one. The heavens are yours. The earth also belongs to you. Yet we befoul the air and rape the earth. Forgive us, O merciful one. The north and south, you have created them. The east and the west as well. With the might of arms, we shatter the nations and scatter your people. Forgive us, O merciful one. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of the cosmos. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are those who know your love, who walk in the light of your countenance. Blessed are those who call upon your name and extol truth and justice. For you are the glory of their strength. You give wise counsel. Our very lives belong to you, O loving companion presence. Some of the times that I have felt most alive and most connected to God and myself and others are when stories of people I meet collide with my story, which collides with the biblical story. And as I got on planes and started thinking about all of you, the stories of Colombian women who, on the surface of things, are so different and so far removed from my life and from our lives here in Lancaster County, 
kept colliding with our story here, colliding with the biblical story of God's loyalty to the most vulnerable, colliding with the divine vision of everyone living in safety, with equality, with enough. Just a word about being in Colombia first. Colombia is, as some of the youth pointed out, an extremely biodiverse place. It's been called one of the world's mega-diverse countries, and it hosts close to 10% of the planet's total biodiversity. It has over 1,700 bird species and 583 amphibians. It's unrivaled by any other country in terms of the animals. Here's a mango leaf, mango tree. And the fruit you just saw, if you go back one, this is a lulo fruit, which is, um, produces a very tangy, sour juice, which is delicious. And we had many, many fruit juices. They're all about their various fruits, and they have many of them, many of which you've never seen before. Some that look like Roma tomatoes, and it's called tomate de arbol, to, uh, tomato of the tree, a tree tomato. And, so, and they grow on trees. So anyway, fabulous variety Here's one example of the many, many different kinds of birds. This man was, a work, was working at one of the hotels we stayed at with, um, after being at one of the more remote um, communities. And this is uh, me with my host mom. And I gotta say, I've never been kissed so many times by people I've never met. It's fantastic. I mean, so the warmth and the welcome of people, and they just plant one right on your cheek. Um, Fantastic. My host family truly took me in as if I were their own and were very protective of me. So I just echo the youth's comments about hospitality and how humbling, how humbling it is to realize that there is no hope of expressing gratitude, um, expressing enough gratitude to these people. And I also have a lot of deep gratitude for Daryl and Marlisa and our MCC hosts who gave our group the in that we needed to spend time with amazing, passionate, skilled Colombian leaders some of whom were about the same age as our youth. I don't remember what the next one is. Oh, yes, I just wanted to throw that one in there so you got one more picture of all of them. But this is them looking at, um, looking at one of the many murals that we, um, that we saw on our street tour, street art tour. And I think one of the youth, I think it might have been you, Isaac, I'm not sure, but one of the youth commented on the confidence that the other youth, the Colombian youth, had. And I experienced that as well in the confidence that the women I met um, when I was visiting with Christian peacemaker teams, they seemed to just exude a deep confidence in their working together to resist evil and to co-create the good. 
And also, like several of our youth mentioned, go ahead. I was very aware of the 60-year-long um, conflict. And in hearing firsthand stories of people's experience during this conflict, um, which are interwoven so painfully closely with our government's policies and practices over a long period of time, um, really threw me into imagining what, what is my part, what is my response in this. This is a, um, last week Bryce mentioned this image of bugs that also have um, weaponry as their wings. This one in particular, these, this is the artist DJ Lou that he commented on who, who creates these kind of hybrid insects that remind us of the, the way war destroys and um, in contrast to some of the birds of Colombia, the many, many types of birds. So there's always this juxtaposition in, in the art and in the resilience of the people of having been broken, having death come again and again, and also this hope and this faith that there will be something different and that, that they are able to continue to create something new and, and life-giving. It's also a very diverse country in terms of people. This is an image of an Afro-Colombian man who was one of the street people who um, DJ Lou is also famous for creating not only the stencils like you saw with the bugs, but um, images of actual people who he's taken photos of, people who live on the streets or people who are, are street artists, street performers themselves. And he replicates these and kind of gives them fame throughout Bogota or as other places where he might do art. This man was actually killed um, rather in a rather brutal way, but he, he continues to live in this piece of art that um, no one touches because people have respect for DJ Lou and his artwork in the city of Bogota. This is one of the stencils that we saw repeated you can see um, Jesus is hanging from two rifles. And this is the image, of a more clear image of what was described. Bryce also described this to you last week. Tic-tac-toe with bullseyes and um, guns with the caption, Nadie gana, nobody wins. And this is just an example. You can't, the Nadia Ghana is actually up above. You can't see it, but this is just on the street. This is just in between shops. He puts these stencils up. So this message of nonviolence, um, this anti-war message, just pops up in various places with these stencils. So as we, as a group, heard stories of people who had been displaced, people who were struggling to create a, a record of memory of what had happened so there could be truth and healing. I noticed that toward the end of the trip, some of our youth were asking those kinds of vocational questions, like what can I offer in the midst of this? What is my role what, in terms of what I might do with my life, can connect 
with this um, grave injustice, which is so connected to our um, policies as the U.S. And so I also, as I moved through my time with Christian Peacemaker teams, um, I had a day in Bogota when they left, and then I got on an overnight bus and I traveled to the city of Barranca Bermeja, which is the base of, it's a small city where CPT has their house and their offices. And as I began my time with Christian peacemaker teams, I also was asking some of those same questions. Wow, like, should I just give up pastoring and go do this? It's so important. (laughs) No. But what is our part, and how do we connect as a community, and how do I continue to claim this as a vocation that is part of being a follower of Jesus, not just part of my vocation as a pastor, but as part of um, doing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly with God. So I spent a lot of time with the OFP, the OFP, um, which is literally, I, I don't know how you would translate it, this is their, their logo, or, Organización Femenina Popular. So roughly a women's organization for the people, popular women's organization. And they have a long track record during this conflict. They are just celebrating 44 years as an organization pushing for human rights, and especially the rights of women. This is the only organization, as far as I know, the only organization run by women for women in this country. And you can see their themes, verdad, truth, justicia, justice, reparación, reparations, and they have received some collective reparations. But these are the things they're pushing for, and no repetición, no no repeating of the violence and the violations of human rights. And so this is what um, they've been working for. They used to be so outspoken in giving denouncements for those who had committed violations or massacres out in the streets, um, demanding um, just basic dignity, that they've had many, many threats and Some of them have actually been assassinated, some of their leaders. Now the times are a bit calmer and um, they they are not perhaps as loud as they might have been in the past, but the strength of these groups of women was still palpable. It's thinking. So we, who are these women? They, they have, in, this, in the city of Barranca, there are several casas de la mujer. So they have these houses of women in the city, in different segments of the city, and then also up the river. So we traveled by Chalupa, which is this little boat. Um, and there's another picture of the same one. So you have to not be too claustrophobic, you hope. And uh, just traveled up the river to see these various communities. These are towns who felt the presence of paramilitary um, and other what they would call armed actors very strongly, people who 
ostensibly came to fight the guerrilla and brought more terror to the civilian population. So I think we skipped over Jondo, but that was the first place we went was, was in the city. And they talked about having, many of these places have had community meals, kind of similar to ours, I think actually more regularly, but they would have lunches where people could come and get like a half-priced lunch. And they described having one of their community meals and one of the armed groups came and disrupted it and shut it down and... Um, so they've had some of these kinds of very close encounters where the par paramilitary were controlling whole sections of the city and some of them had had to flee. Um, here you can see a sign of welcome. Welcome to this space of building peace. Um, they talk a lot about... Um, yeah, Constructor, construyamos, or I, I'm, you know, my Spanish is pretty terrible, I'm sorry, but the peace, uh, constructing peace is a theme for the OFP and for these women, these houses of women, which also operate as a, a shelter for them and a place where they can organize and feel their collective strength. Many of these women are heads of their own households and the theme of economic autonomy came up over and over again, where they've worked to create, um, to have job training and things that they need in order to sustain themselves, being the sole breadwinner, so to speak. This is the community of San Pablo. That's their sign that you just saw. These are the women who created this particular mural. You can maybe see there are hands below the house, which represents the house of, of women, and the broken heart. The hands are, they said, the hands of women are lifting up peace throughout the world, and we're doing our part. And while we were there, they were still in the midst of organizing. This woman was making announcements about a march that they had planned to support a woman in their town who had been attacked violently. Um, and there's a um, there's this terrible thing of throwing acid on women when you're upset with them, apparently, in Colombia. And they were gathering to support her um, with a march the following day. And so this woman was giving details about that. They were in the midst of, of organizing for solidarity. Cantagallo was another um, community we visited and they still have a functioning uh, lunch. So we, we actually ate lunch from their kitchen. This was an image of a woman who is free. And they, living right on the river, they talked about um, the Magdalena River, which has been also known as both a place of life and of death because many people who were disappeared or people who were killed have been, had been thrown into the river. And yet they spoke about it as it's our mode of transportation and way of raising food. We bathe there. We go, uh, the birds go off to their roosts and fly about the river, and we're not afraid to travel on this river. They said, we're free. And so this was an expression of the freedom that they're claiming, despite um, the many very painful setbacks.
together, women and men together, juntas y juntos, um, building spaces of um, a dignified life, life with dignity. And these are the women you can see with their OFAP shirts on, the many women who work together to create this mural and who continue to support one another. The Magdalena and some traditional canoes. The last place I was able to visit was Puerto Wilches. And this particular Casa de la Mujer was, a, was actually a literal house of refuge. Um, there were some years back, there was a time when people spent um, some days and nights hiding here when the paramilitary were compelling people to go to marches, um, apparently in support of them. And so people hid there and slept in this Casa de la Mujer. These women believe that their asking and their searching and their knocking will result in receiving and finding and having doors open to them. Obviously, they have first-hand experience with some of this. In fact, some of these women we met had built their own houses brick by brick. In fact, they used to, when they were constructing the houses of women, they would have brick drives or brick parties where everyone would literally bring a brick. And they, they have constructed these things from the ground up, literally. Another group of women in a, in a, a portion of the city of Barranca agitated for running water in their area of the city. They were without that for a long time, and they successfully gained um, access to running water and clean water. They've found by experience um, of the, their persistence, what it means, just the sheer persistence um, that it takes to find a sustainable house, to build something, to find a job that will allow them to support their families. But their persistence, it seemed to have a source, and I would say that at least part of this source for them of how they keep going, how they continue to struggle, is a clear vision of resurrection. Now this particular image maybe shows it more clearly than others, but each place we visited, there were images of butterflies, transformation. Um, they, they continually were showing what was and what will be, and their, their trust and their, um, their, at their conviction that, that things were going to change, that resurrection was possible. They have known a lot of death, and they have been cut down. And they believe that they will rise. And so, of course, I thought of Isaiah and the stump, and this biblical image of when you've been completely cut, cut down, and yet 
Here she stands on the stump with a face of determination and serenity. So again, as I, I was there for, you know, three days, four, four days or so with Christian Peacemaker teams accompanying um, one of their teammates who was judging these murals. And as I left after this brief encounter with these strong and convicted women, I had to wonder as I was hearing little bits and pieces of the news from the United States, is this in the wake of the murders of Philando Castile and Alton Sterling Is this kind of faith so much different from the faith of black churches who persistently continue in believing that something can be different by the power of the Spirit in Christ Jesus? In light of Dallas, Orlando, France, South Sudan, Turkey, is it so different? Are there there struggles any different? There is one kingdom coming. There is a common need to continue resisting evil and building the good. There is a poignant need in each of us to go on believing in the resurrection. Because the underlying truth is we are one. And if we're fortunate We spend our lifetimes learning more deeply how true that is. We are one people, we human beings. We are people created by the one God who belong to God and to each other. Human beings who want good things for our children and are willing to struggle for them. And as human beings, we share an underlying awareness that everyone deserves to have what they need to live, and we all feel a certain pain or tension when we become aware that someone is not being treated fairly. It's because we are kin. We are kin to one another. We might deny it, and we might find ways to pretend it's not true, but we are kin. And God is calling one people all people, every people, into communion with each other and with the community of love that is God, the Holy Trinity of love. And so Isaiah's vision seems like just a natural outgrowth of what these women are already practicing and so many other communities in this country and in places around the world where there is resistance to evil. This dream of even the predators lying down with their prey in peace. And perhaps that's also a vision of how the United States might lie down in peace with those countries that have been like prey. If you'd like to see any more about the OFAP and other bits and pieces from my trip, I have 
some things set out on the table back there, and I'll be hanging around. So as I was returning to you, I was feeling our stories colliding with the stories of the women of Puerto Wilches, of Barranca Bermeja, and of the people without homes in Lancaster. The same courage and strength and resilience and passion for justice, the same grief and the stubborn hope that I saw in these groups of women is also present here. I imagine there are people here as well who know and use their collective power. We see this in the Black Lives, uh, Black Lives Matter movement. And it's power that is shared, and it's power that gives life rather than damaging or dominating or destroying it. And as I encountered these stories over and over again in the spirit of these women and their boldness and their mutual respect, their ways of claiming their place and claiming life with dignity, I actually wondered, since they were all groups of women, I just started wondering, is there something even in women's biology that helps us understand power as shared and as generative as giving life without forcing? Now, my brothers, please just stay with me and come with me for a moment. Some of you have thought about this, but if you haven't, it seems like there's an old wisdom that speaks about women understanding this kind of power that gives life without dominating. I mean, women being those who bear children, but even those of us who don't or haven't, have it somehow there. This biology that is in place for holding and carrying and delivering into the world new life. I think we carry it in our bodies, and I think it affects how we imagine what is possible and what power is or what power should be. But please hear me, I think this impulse is in all of us. Whatever your gender. Kind of an innate and genuine interest in working together to get to something new. It's interdependent. It recognizes the truth of our interdependence. It's cooperative. And Jesus understood and worked creatively with this kind of generative power, power that births life without needing to dominate or force. Jesus moved in the power of the Spirit. It was not a dominating power, but he lived a grounded and an interdependent life supported by people as he went along, staying here and there. And he calls all of his followers to this kind of living in the power of the Spirit, a power that is interdependent and cooperative. And so I'm all the more grateful that we give our children these kinds of experiences and that we steep them in these values of justice, especially for those who are most vulnerable. And I hope that we will be good examples by continuing to ask our own vocational questions 
What is my part? What is ours to do as a community? How might we respond? How might we still be transformed, no matter how old or young you are? What can be learned? So some particular questions I'll leave you with. What does this mean for our Monday night community meals? If we are truly one people, if we are kin to each other, Greg Boyle, in his interview with Krista Tippett in On Being, challenges us to see that service is not an end in itself, but a beginning towards finding real kinship with others. What would it mean if we went to Monday night meal expecting to discover our kinship with all the people there? Expecting that we might learn something new. Expecting that we were going to be in mutual relationship. How would we be changed? And how would our society be changed? What does all this mean for the way we engage with Rabia and her three children when they arrive from a refugee camp in Iraq? as Kurdish people, no less, who are already an ethnic minority in their own land, now starting over in this totally new place. And what does it mean for us when the Black Lives Matter movement gets maligned and smeared and blamed for the violence of one traumatized veteran? We need to continue to hear from those of you especially who already are deeply practiced in being allies to our sisters and brothers here in Lancaster City, who are leaders in black communities, who are working for justice and the oneness that Jesus prayed for. Again, Greg Boyle asks, how can we seek a compassion that can stand in awe of what people have to carry rather than standing in judgment of how they carry it. That's the measure of health in any community. We notice our otherness. We notice the separation that we feel, the distance from us to someone else. But what are the ways that we can practice noticing our kinship and continuing to move into the power of the resurrection? into Isaiah's vision and into our vocation as followers of Jesus Christ. I ask you to turn to number 30 and sing the journey, the green book, number 30. This is a familiar tune, maybe some of you know it, but you'll recognize it.
Jesus Christ is waiting, waiting in the street. No one is his neighbor, all alone he Listen, Lord Jesus, I am lonely too. Make me friend or stranger, fit to wait on you. Jesus Christ is raging. Let me 